You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, photographer, rock and roll drummer, and volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me on the show today. Michelle, I've known how much you love lighthouses for a long time. You proved it by being the volunteer of the year for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses for 2018. But now you're showing the world how much you love lighthouses. You've added something since we last recorded together. Would you care to comment on that addition to your right lower leg? I sure would, Jeremy. So I, for the first time, got my very first tattoo just about a month ago. And there's a lighthouse on there, obviously, which represents so much to me. It's Portsmouth Harbor Light, to be exact. Yes. Um, I had wanted a tattoo for the last couple of years. And back in mid-June, I saw a design that I really liked. And my dad had passed away a couple of weeks after that. And I had the design changed a little bit to represent not just a lighthouse, but also a little bit of my dad. Um, The night he passed away, a a flower, a single flower bloomed in my backyard. So I had that flower incorporated into the tattoo, as well as a bird, as he and I shared a a love of birds. So there's flowers and a bird and the beautiful Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse that's adorning my lower right leg now. Well, the tattoo is really beautiful, Michelle, and the meaning behind it makes it very special. And speaking of the meaning of lighthouses, I think everyone is aware of what a positive symbol they are. They absolutely are, Jeremy. Lighthouses were built for completely positive reasons, to save lives and property. They stand for all kinds of good things like hope, faith, guidance, strength, and steadfastness. For me, personally, they represent all of these things and more, especially strength and faith. Several years ago, while going through some personal issues, lighthouses gave me the guiding light and strength that I needed to get through them. Mm -hmm. I think that applies to a lot of us. I think uh, for me personally, there have been times in my life where uh, lighthouses have have given me strength as well. And I think just about everybody who loves lighthouses would be able to to say that. Uh, The lighthouses have uh, meant so much to them on a personal level for sure. Uh, Let me just add, without belaboring the symbolism of lighthouses too much, that all of us should aspire to be lighthouses in this world. Lighthouses don't depend on anything around them. The purpose of lighthouses is simply to provide light. Today's interview is with the caretaker of one of the most beautiful island light stations in Maine, Little River Lighthouse in Cutler. Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about Terry Roden. Sure, Jeremy. Terry Roden, a native of Michigan, served as a keeper at Little River Light Station in Cutler, Maine for the U.S. Coast Guard from 1968 to 1970. It was then that he met a young Cutler native named Cynthia, and Terry and Cynthia were eventually married. When the Friends of Little River Lighthouse was founded as a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation in 2008, Terry became a volunteer. For the past few years, Terry has been the resident caretaker on the island. His wife, Cynthia, is also a valuable volunteer. At the American Lighthouse Foundation Gala in 2016, 
Terry was awarded a President's Award for his exemplary commitment to the organization's historic lighthouse preservation mission. In July, I visited Little River Light Station, and I had a chance to interview Terry Roden, along with my friend Bob Trapani, Jr., Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am here in the kitchen in the uh, Keeper's Quarters at Little River Light Station in beautiful Cutler, Maine, and I am here with Terry Roden. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today, Terry. I really appreciate it. And also with me today is my good friend Bob Trapani, Jr., Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation. And Bob will be joining me today in a conversation with Terry Roden. We're going to talk about Terry's early days as a Coast Guard lightkeeper here at Little River Light Station and also about his current position as a caretaker here at Little River and the, uh, the overnight uh, stay program that the American Lighthouse Foundation has here at Little River Light Station. So let's start out by talking to Terry about your first stint as a keeper here back when you were in the Coast Guard. Terry, you were only 21 years old when you originally became a Coast Guard lightkeeper here at Little River Light Station. Uh, before we get into that, I'm just going to mention that if, if people hear a little noise in the background here, there is uh, there are some uh, seas running here today. There's probably get a little bit of ocean noise or running in here from the Grand Manan Channel. We're just a little south of Bay of Fundy here. So yes, it's right. Uh, it's right where the action's happening. Absolutely, it's a gorgeous day here today. So anyway, Terry, you were only 21 years old when you became a Coast Guard lightkeeper here at Little River Light Station. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that experience. Was that something you enjoyed? Well, being that young, and I'm originally from just outside of Detroit, Michigan, and just coming to Cutler to start with a small fishing village and then coming, uh, and coming out to the island, it took a little getting used to. I mean, I, never, uh, I, I was never uh, used to having a four-party line, a telephone line. When I grew up in Michigan, we always had private lines. So that took a little bit get, getting used to, but uh, it was, uh, I knew once I got here that, that uh, it's, it was like, it, it drew me here like a magnet. I mean, I, I, I just love this place. Mm -hmm. So it was very, it was, it was nice. Uh, uh, there were three of us stationed here. One would be off on, on rotation. So we'd, we'd work 14 days on and we'd get seven off. So that was really good for good duty. I mean, uh, and then plus I got 30 days leave a year. So it was, it was good duty, even though it was isolated. And how long were you here? I was here for two years. Two years. And you met your wife to be here. I cer certainly did. My wife is, she was beautiful then. She's even more beautiful now. <laughs> She um, she lets me be a keeper here, so <laughs> or a caretaker here. So it's very nice, you know. I, I I you know we I decided not to go back to Michigan, and we decided that we would raise our kids here, and I'm glad I did because I, I I'm here I am I'm back at 71 years old. <laughs> and she's uh, one of the leading volunteers for the Friends of Little River Lighthouse. I couldn't as do well. this without her. Yeah. yeah. So you're really a team. She. she uh, uh, she's a real trooper. When I need things, she, you know, she goes to town and and uh, 
you know, I, like I said, I, I, I couldn't be able to do it without her. Tell me when you, you met her during your stay here. When, when did you get married? It was a bit I after got, that. I got married in 1969 mm-hmm. and I got out of the Coast Guard in 1970. And, uh, I went to school a couple of years and then I, um, I actually started working for the Navy as a civil service worker. And uh, I started in federal wages at $2.90 an hour. And that was for a tradesman's position, not just a laborer, Two ninety. I bought my house in Cutler on $2.90 an hour. Things are different today. Yeah, well, I don't know if I should tell you how much I made on my first job. <laughs> I think it was $1.90 an hour. <laughs> yeah, you go. We won't talk about that. So uh, maybe if you could say a little bit more about what it was like here in those days. It was nice in the summertime, but in the wintertime it was it was kind of lonely. It was, well, yeah, it uh, it was cold, and especially when the sea, sea smoke run, you know run on the water. So you um, every, I, everything would ice up. You know, we would limit our trips back and forth, and um, we always made sure we had plenty of food on hand. And uh, I think they paid me uh, seventy-two dollars extra a month to buy my groceries. And we would go to, we'd go up to the Navy base at the commissary store, where we got, you know, good choice of, of food that we wanted. And it was, uh, it, it it took a while to get used to being, uh, you know, on an island. But uh, you know, your car's in town, and there was, you know, you were, you were kind of stuck right here. This is you couldn't leave too much, so. But it was, uh, I, I actually enjoyed it. I must have enjoyed it because I, I know I love the place now even more. Yeah. You know, Terry, even though the island's not that far from the mainland, 10 minute ride in, mm-hmm. uh, you speak of the cold, and we know this house is not insulated right. at all. You guys, not only were you having to deal with the cold weather, but now you can't even really get your boat in the town. Uh, the house could not have been heated that great at all times. I'm sure you had maybe one or two rooms that were better than the others, but no, you guys do, uh, how'd well, you guys deal with that? Well, uh, halfway across the island, uh, across from the, the granite oil house, um, we had 5,000 gallons of fuel. Uh, the, the buoy tender would come in the fall of the year. I, I'd stick the tanks to find out how much fuel I had to, was going to take on. And uh, there was a pipeline that went all the way down to the boathouse. And I'd take the pea pod out, and I took a, they would give me a handheld radio, and I would uh, float the hose in, hook up, come up here, and I'd tell them I'd set the valves just where I needed to, for which tank to fill. And I was in constant t- contact with the engine room, so that they'd, pump, they'd pump the fuel in. And there was no thermostat in this house. Because the the I, I I joke about it now, but uh, I always used to say the the wind would come through the window, this eastern window, at sixty miles an hour, and go out through that other opposite side of the house at, at eighty miles an hour. <laughs> but because we had so much fuel, fuel was super cheap in them days. The furnace had an on and off switch, the old thermostat, and once it got cold, it would it, the furnace would run continually; it would never shut off. So with these cast iron radiators, we were plenty warm. Even, I mean, it's like trying to heat a lobster trap. 
But, but it was, uh, you know, we, we were warm. We were warm. So not like taking a brick to bed, a heated brick to bed, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It, it was. Uh, it was. It was challenging, and when, when we got a lot of snow, especially if we got the big northeasters. Yeah. Any yeah. particularly memorable sto- storms yeah. while you were here? Yes, sir. I. Um, <coughs> I got a call from Southwest Harbor. Uh, the group commander, and they sent a message down telling us to make sure that the generators, everything's up, uh, fluid levels are all up and going, because we're going to get a big northeaster. So I was stationed with a guy from Knoxville, Tennessee, and his name was Johnny Walker. <laughs> of course. Of course. So Johnny and I, uh, we had the duty that, uh, that that particular storm, and I said, well, I can... Uh, wait for a tree to blow down in town and lose the, the main uh, cable from the mainland, power from the mainland, or I can go start the generator right now and not, not have to deal with it. So I said, I think that's what I'm going to do. I went out and started the generator and uh, put her online, and then uh, we went to bed. And the next morning I got up, I couldn't, I come down the stairs, and I couldn't even, I looked out the, the, the window in the stairway, and I couldn't see the tower door at all. There's The snow was up that high. And I said to Johnny, where's the snow shovels at? He says, they're out on the, on the back porch. We, we couldn't, you couldn't even see them. You know, they were, we snowed under. And uh, it was up, it, it, got, it actually came up to, to uh, two panes on the glass right there. The snow was drifted around there. And, I had to crawl out the office window with two dustpans. I got out with a dustpan first and shoveled a little bit, and then uh, Johnny got out, and between both of us, we shoveled our way to the porch to get the snow shovels, and, uh, and then we shoveled all the way to the, the tower. And once we got the tower, the outside door swings out, so we had to make room for that to swing open. And uh, it was quite a bit challenge, but uh, that was probably the biggest storm that I've ever been in. <laughs> and it was wet, heavy snow. So, and you know, it, uh, it's beautiful here in the summertime. It's beautiful in the wintertime. The sea smoke is, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't have to go out in it. Yeah. 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 So, it's mighty cold. It is cold. I, I just don't know what else to say about it. It was just, it was a duty station at first. I, 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 I will say one thing now. I never took, when I was a young man, I never took in consideration what it took to build this place out here. I mean, to build that tower, I mean, and, and that, with a cast iron tower or whatever it is, I, I, how heavy that must have been to bring them sections out here and put them together. And I just, I, I'm just an awestruck right now of how they did it. Yeah. I mean, well, even maybe even more so the original stone tower right, that was the here. The stone house, the, uh, them, and them, house, them yeah. big granite blocks and granite stone is super heavy. And how they got it across, I don't think they brought it up, up from out here on the front side of the island. They had to have come on the beach side in, inside the harbor there. Mm-hmm. Well, at 21 years old, though, if I'm, my memory serves me correct, you had some good ingenuity when it came to figuring out how to watch TV. Oh, Can yeah. Can you talk about that? Okay, um, Johnny and I were out here, and in the middle of the night, we heard this big crash. It was a storm, and there was a, on the roof, I don't know how old it was. It was quite old. There was a, a 20-foot pole, a telescopic pole, two 10-foot sections, 
and it had an antenna, TV antenna, and it had a rotor on it that you, you could turn that thing around. Well, you could only get two channels anyway. I could get a channel from St. John's, New Brunswick, or I could get MPBN, and, and this was a black and white TV now. So the antenna come down in the middle of the night. The guide wires rusted away. So I called up. Uh, it, the antenna was pretty well trashed. So I, I called up Southwest Harbor, one of the storekeeper, and I said, um, I got to see about, I explained to him what happened, and I said, I'd like to go uptown and purchase a new antenna and, and some new guide wire and stuff. Well, the storekeeper said, well, times are hard right now. He says, uh, you're going to have to make do with what you got. And I says, well, okay. So I said, who am I speaking with? And he gave me his name, and I, I got on the station log, and I wrote it down. So... I ended up taking, I took a hacksaw and cut a piece off the, it's the longest piece, it was the straightest, and we kind of hooked the antenna together, and I took it up on top of the tower, and I took a pipe cap off the, the one corner post, and I put, the, put it down in there, put the pipe down in there with the antenna, what was left of it, mm -hmm. and then I, I took part of it, uh, we, we attached, we attached a, uh, a thing like a boom on it, and I took some clothesline rope and two pulleys, and I hooked it down here to the the back deck, uh, the porch out here. And I could I could pull the channel one way, pull it, and I could get channel uh, New Brunswick. And if I pulled it the other way, well, that was fine. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. In the spring, I got to call the officers from Southwest Harbor, and the chiefs come out for an inspection. And was like it was a uh, chief warrant officer. He come down when he saw that clothesline up there. He for some reason he didn't see the the, the antenna, but he saw the he said he, he seen the clothesline rope, and he says, "What in the world is that clothesline rope doing on that tower?" And I said, "Sir, come over here." I said, "Johnny, turn the TV on channel uh, nine." And so Johnny turns the TV on, and I look through the window, and I and I had the officer standing on the deck right there. And I pulled it one way like that, and channel nine come in, fairly, fairly good. And then I said, "Turn around 13," and he went back and I pulled it the other way. And he says, uh, "Job well done." Right? <laughs> and it stayed there. I don't know how many years. Uh, I think when they closed this in '74, about '74, yeah, '75. And the last I knew, I've I've got pictures of it. It was still up there, and and that, and of course the other crews did. They didn't bother to get another antenna. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was, uh, I was scared right to death, though, when he said, what is that clothesline? He, I thought he was going to, you know, I didn't want to be demoted at all. Yeah. But that's I, great. That's. I don't know if Terry shares our love. We love basketball. But I know they even got a little bit of a basketball story here, too, right? Yeah. Um, there was an old barn here um, back when, when uh, Willie Corbett, and the Corbett's lived here. Right. And the only thing that was left to it when I got here in 1968 was the floor. So Johnny and I, we fixed a, uh, put a basketball hoop up, and we used it as a court. Uh, and the first thing you want to be careful of is, is don't stub your toe and fall down and get a sliver because it's not good. But it was kind of, it was, a, it was something to stand there and just shoot hoops. 
but it was just a floor. Just there were the no floor. no walls. No, walls, uh, no nothing. Just so if you if you shot like an air ball, the ball could uh, end up in the in the water. No, no, <laughs> no it went in the woods. It was, it, oh, okay, it went in the woods here. Okay, yeah. Huh. So well, he, Johnny would go to Tennessee. Um, he would go to Tennessee every time he had a time off. Yeah. And before I met my wife, I used to go to uh, Detroit, Michigan. And uh, if I seem to recall, it was only if I wore my uniform, I could fly from Bangor to Portland, Portland to Manchester, New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire to Detroit and back for $52. <laughs> but that was a lot of money. I mean, but yeah. especially when you don't make much. I didn't make much money when I was in the Coast Guard. But, you know, then I met my wife and, and that's the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to just flash forward a few years, uh, you've now been a caretaker for, for several years. Right. And you say you love it even more now than you did then. I do. You appreciate it, it grows, more. It grows. It grows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because at 21 years old, I really never had, had a, a major job that I had to work hard. So once I grew up and I grew older, and I worked hard uh, my life, you know, and I realize how much now, now when I look at it, it's unbelievable how they, they could get stuff over here, the granites, the granite blocks, and when they built this place originally, it's incredible. Yeah, and just briefly, what was your career in between in those, in those years? Uh, I worked for the Navy. I, was, I started in as a painter, and I worked as a painter for 15 years, mm-hmm. and then I, um, then I, become the maintenance foreman over there. Mm-hmm. And I actually worked there for 29 and a half years. And with my military time, I got a chance to retire at 52. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did it. Because then I, when they, when uh, ALF took this island, took over the island here, I, uh, I would come out and mow lawns. I didn't do too much of the, the, uh, volunteer stuff inside, but, um, I now, now that I'm, the caretaker here i just uh you know you like i was just saying a minute ago you um you like you love the island so much you don't really want to leave it yeah you know you're yeah you, you know and like my sign says if once you have ever slept on an island you'll never be quite the same yes yeah i agree with that well you're you're really the 21st century keeper you know, some of us who are uh, kind of purists about lighthouse history are a little hesitant to use the word keeper for right, right. for people who are, because the light is automated, right. the light comes on by itself. But in, for all intents and purposes, you are you are the the keeper. Today. Well, you know, all I know is is um, if once you come here and see the beauty of uh, my front yard is here, it's 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 breathtaking. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's magic. It's it absolute magic. It is. You've been here as caretaker since 2015, and you've seen people from all over the world, right? We get I have guests from everywhere. On the- I have. Uh, they come from uh, Italy. I've had quite a few people from Italy come. I've had. I think the furthest one was a uh, uh, husband and wife from Australia. And then there was one from Hobart, Tasmania, which is just off uh, Australia. I've had them from St. Petersburg, Russia, San Pablo, Brazil, 
uh, of course, all over the states, a lot of the states in Canada. And uh, surprisingly enough, everybody that comes here, they they will um, they don't want to leave either. You know, they hate to think that they got to go go back. So, you know, it, it grows on you. Well, I think that's a great point. You know, we have a lighthouse here, of course, and that's a primary attraction for people. But it's so much more than that. When you see all these guests, there's a lot of emotion. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are, are crying when they have to leave. There are just some of the life-changing uh, things that can happen at a place like this. And it's not just about the lighthouse. And that's the beautiful thing is this is really a one-of-a-kind experience. Right. I'm just fortunate. I'm so fortunate to be, you know, to have a wife to let me do this. And it... Um, one of these days is going to come to an end. I don't know when. I, I, I lived all winter long dreaming about being back here again in the spring. And uh, I, usually do a, I usually do a project. And this year I worked on my, the plaster in my, my bedroom here. And, uh, you know, I, I picked a project that I can do before the, the guests start coming. Because once they come here, it's uh, you know I, I I don't do it I don't you know I keep the lawn I mow the lawn and stuff like that but I don't do a, a lot of uh, you know bigger projects but because it, it's more fun to sit and talk to the people from around the world I mean and I I had one one couple that came here they were from uh, Milan Italy they got married a young couple they got married in April. They spent. They flew to New York City. They they um, they were in New York for three weeks. They went to Washington D.C. They went Florida, Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas. They went to California. They went on. They went all the way around. They didn't get out here until in April uh, and in August. And he he happened to be a um, an, in, an interior designer architect of. Restaurante, what he says, restaurante, mm -hmm. and he does super modern interior things, and um, he he does most of his work in Dubai. So it's interesting to talk to him, and they could cook Italian food. It was just unbelievable, and uh, that's the fun part. That I I I mean, I I volunteer there, but I wouldn't take a dime. And I wouldn't. Uh, Change it, change it the way it is because just being able to have these people come here and to, to, to talk to them at night and, and see how they live. And it, it, it's a funny thing that we think that we want to go somewhere to, you know, uh, I'll say in Europe somewhere, but you can't get any be more beautiful than what this place is right here. True. Well, I'll tell you what, Terry, we are super grateful as the American Lighthouse Foundation to have you as a caretaker. Uh, in many ways, uh, you are still on watch after all these years. And, you know, we just encourage people to take a try, come stay at Little River Lighthouse, get to meet Terry, get to experience this island. And to learn how you can do that, you can go to uh, littleriverlight.org and learn all about this wonderful place. Well, this is the easiest interview I ever did, <laughs> having you two, two guys here. Terry, it's it's just uh, it's moving to hear you talk about it because the the love is so apparent that you have for this place, mm -hmm. and you know I've only gotten to be on this island a handful of times over the past fifteen years, twenty actually almost twenty years. I first came out here with a group of people from the American Lighthouse Foundation almost twenty years ago, um, but when I come here, it it has such a special feel to it. 
So I, I completely understand the way you feel about it. Yeah. And uh, like you say, it's magical. It absolutely is. And I echo Bob's sentiment that the American Lighthouse Foundation is so lucky to have somebody like you who who uh, loves this place so much and has been you've been so good to it and it's been good to you. So it's it's a it's a great relationship. So thank you. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Bob, so much. And again, our listeners can find out more at the say it again bob the website littleriverlight.org mm-hmm. and also lighthousefoundation.org of course uh, for the american lighthouse foundation yeah, and all the lights that the foundation takes care of so thank you both so much it's been a real pleasure thank you jeremy thank you and terry thank you on. In today's history segment, we're going to tell you about a keeper in southeastern Massachusetts who was rumored to be a pirate. Stark Little Bird Island, less than two acres, and just a few hundred yards off the entrance to Marion's Sipican Harbor on the west side of Buzzards Bay, was an ideal place to establish a lighthouse. A 25-foot conical tower was constructed and the light went into operation on September 1, 1819. William S. Moore, a veteran of the War of 1812, was appointed as the first keeper. A severe storm struck the area at the end of December, devastating the new light station. Keeper Moore, who lost his boat and a large supply of wood, described the damage in a letter. Quote, I was under the necessity of removing with my family into the lighthouse. In the course of being at sea, I have experienced much severe weather, particularly the tornadoes of Africa and other tropical climates, and they hardly exceed the violence of this gale, Unquote. Letters indicate that Moore conducted experiments with the heating of whale oil to keep it from freezing in the winter months. He also worked on the development of air boxes to be stored on boats to help prevent sinking. Persistent local legend claims that Moore was a pirate who was banished to Bird Island as punishment. Some sources claim that he was left without a boat with supplies being delivered periodically. Since his boat is mentioned frequently in correspondence, that is clearly untrue. In any case, properly functioning lighthouses were vital to maritime commerce, and the authorities strove to hire responsible and reliable men, not pirates. Some accounts claim that Moore murdered his wife, who was described as a Boston Society girl, at the light station. A rifle was reportedly found in a secret hiding place, along with a bag of tobacco, when the original keeper's house was torn down in 1889. The gun was believed by some to be the murder weapon. Others have claimed that Moore prevented his ailing wife from seeking medical attention on the mainland, and that she had died as a result. Although she is supposedly buried on the island, there is no sign of the grave of Moore's wife today. With the gun was found a note signed by Moore. It read, quote, This bag contains tobacco, found among the clothes of my wife after her decease. It was furnished by certain individuals in and about Sipican. May the curses of the high heaven rest upon the heads of those who destroyed the peace of my family and the health and happiness of a wife whom I dearly loved, unquote. 
Another far-fetched part of the lore surrounding William Moore is that he disappeared, never to be seen again, shortly after his wife's death was discovered. In reality, records clearly show that Moore was assigned to the new Billingsgate Lighthouse near Wellfleet on Cape Cod in 1822. The truth about Keeper Moore will probably never be completely separated from the fantastic legends concerning his life. But his wife did die on the island, and there are those who say it has been haunted or cursed ever since. According to a newspaper article in the New Bedford Standard Times, legend has it that the ghost of a hunched over old woman rapping at the door during the night frightened some later keepers at Bird Island. That's it for this episode of Lighthearted. Many thanks to our guest, Terry Roden of the Friends of Little River Light Station. Check out littleriverlight.org to learn more about overnight stays at Little River Light Station. Thanks, as always, to all the staff and volunteers of the United States Lighthouse Society at the Point No Point Light Station in Hansville, Washington, as well as all USLHS volunteers everywhere. Check out uslhs.org online, as well as the social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And thanks to everyone everywhere who is involved with saving lighthouses and their history. I also want to tell our listeners who might be near Portsmouth, New Hampshire, or might be visiting the seacoast of New Hampshire, about an event coming up on Wednesday evening, September 18th at 6.30 p.m. at the Portsmouth Public Library. There will be a screening of the documentary Keepers of the Light, which is about the history of gay headlight on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. The producers, Liz Witham and Ken Wentworth, will be there. It's a fascinating story that involves the local Wampanoag community on Martha's Vineyard. It was my pleasure to be a part of the documentary, and I'll be there for the screening also. You can learn more on the Portsmouth Public Library website and also their Facebook page. Again, the screening will be September 18th at 6.30 p.m. As always, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep keep a a good light. light.